What up, what up, what up everyone? Welcome to episode 132, that's right, episode 132 of Combo's Court, and I am Combo. Go rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button right on your Apple Podcast app. Share this episode with a friend via social media or word of mouth. Today's show, co-host of the NBA pod, Brian Taporic joins in. Brian also contributes to Forbes Sports and Fansided as well. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Luca on the track. Brian Support, co-host of the NBA Pod, contributor to Forbes and fan sided as well. Welcome to Combo's Court, man. How are you feeling? Uh, uh, I'm good. Thank you for having me. I uh, I wish we were recording under happier circumstances, but uh, the the Kobe thing on Sunday it's uh, it's been it's been a tough couple days. Right. We actually scheduled this before Kobe's untimely demise and the terrible helicopter accident. Um, I've recorded a few somber podcasts. Um, what was your reaction when you first heard? Uh, you know, man, I mean, yeah, like I was, I, I actually, so we just recorded a podcast talking about this too. So if anyone listens to both, I'm sorry in advance if they, uh, if they overlap a little bit, but I was, you know, I just finished a walk with my wife on Sunday. We get back, I'm about to take a shower. And then my co-host DM'd me, uh, and told me what happened. And I, I just couldn't believe it at first. I, and like, I was just hoping you know, I saw TMZ had the report. I, I know they tend to be right with this particular kind of thing, but I was just really hoping they were wrong. Um, and then, like, the next couple hours, I was just really, like, catatonic on my couch, just refreshing TweetDeck, hoping that someone would come out and say, no, no, this wasn't him. And, you know, then when the report about his daughter being in there as well, it's just like, uh, my my heart just sank in my stomach, and the you know like I I just I feel so bad for his his wife and his three remaining kids, and that was you know I think the only thing that that gives me solace at a time like this is seeing how the NBA community, both like the players and you know Jeannie Buss, Rob Palinka, the Lakers organization, but then also just everyone who follows the game, like seeing all of these tributes to him, seeing all of these people write such touching things about him. It makes me realize that like the, you know, Vanessa and these three kids have a, a, a horrible challenge ahead of them, but they, they are not alone in this fight and right. they're going to have such incredible support from the NBA community. So that is, you know, the, the only, <laughs> only thing giving me solace to stuff like this. Right. I, I'm almost in a daze and it, I don't know if it processed yet. Even when I'm recording these podcasts and watching it on TV, it doesn't feel real sometimes. And, and then I just snap out of it and I say, what the, and I start cursing like, damn, this is real. Like yeah. Kobe Bryant, like just the phrase Kobe Bryant is dead is like so shocking. And right. I don't think, and, and outside of family members and friends, obviously I've never been affected by death this much. I don't think in my life. And I have never been shocked by one. Uh, my friend said, you know, Michael Jackson was shocking, but it was a little different because we know Michael lived like an interesting lifestyle. It was kind of <laughs> like, 
it was like a weird, quirky lifestyle. Right. Uh, he's always getting surgeries. You know, Kobe struck you as the guy that, that would probably eat healthy. I'm not with him. I don't know him personally. He just strikes you as a guy that would do everything right. And yeah. man, it's just shocking that he passed away. It's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm like speechless. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. I may. So my wife is a, she's a doctor. She works in the ICU a lot. So like she sees death all the time. Right. And most of these people are old. They've been sick for a long time, but she's had patients that come in. We're totally healthy a week ago, pretty young and, you know, die and leave family members. And obviously that is tragic and it's, it's hard for her to compartmentalize sometimes, but even she was like just more affected by this than she expected. And I, I, my co-host felt the same way. I've seen people on Twitter and, you know, in email threads, DMs, whatever, express similar feelings. So I think it's just really interesting that, you know, like I, I grew up in Philly. I wasn't a Lakers fan growing up. If anything, I was pissed at Kobe for a while because he knocked the Sixers out of the 2001 finals. Right. Uh, but like, I, it's just, he was just such a present part of our lives for, you know, the last 20 plus years that there's this emptiness there that like, it, it is, it's weird to think that like, Kobe Bryant's not going to be at an all-star weekend and we're not going to see any clips of him just like, you know, courtside in the NBA game, soaking up the action, enjoying retirement with his daughters. Like the thought of that is just crushing. Right. As a content creator, as a podcaster, and actually uh side note, when I saw your, your uh, co-host name, I knew he was from Denmark. I actually lived in Denmark for a year playing basketball. So he had the ultimate Danish oh, cool. name. Yeah, yeah. Great yeah, country. Oh, yeah. By the, it's an underrated country because it's cold. I think people with when they think of cold countries, they don't like give it its credit. But Denmark is truly a great country. Yeah, yeah. We we visited him uh, not last summer. I think two summers ago at this point. And yeah, we loved it there. Right, right. So as a as a podcaster and as a content creator, and I think the NBA had the same choices as well. When you found out about Kobe, was your like initial reaction to not podcast for a while to talk about it on a podcast. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and the NBA's decisions to go ahead with your initial games and then cancel mm -hmm. this game between the Lakers and the Clippers. Yeah. I mean, we, we hadn't planned, like we had planned on recording one in the coming days uh, right. to, to basically like discuss all-star reserves and whatever trade rumors, like that's the kind of dumb stuff that we thought we would be talking about. And right, I, right. <laughs> I I wish we could have, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, I don't think we seriously considered recording on Sunday because both of us were just kind of in a state of shock. Right. Um, and then, you know, Monday I work like all day. So our timelines wouldn't have lined up anyway, but I, I almost think it was helpful that we had a couple days to really process this and, you know, see the outpouring of love and support that most people have shared. And, and kind of just to deal with it on our own terms. Like, I don't know that I would have, my thoughts still aren't totally coherent. Or yeah, like, me neither. No, it's like, they kind of flow all over the place. But I feel like today at least is the first day that I'm in the headspace to even talk about it. Like, it was, I, I was just like in such a weird funk uh, Sunday and Monday that, you know, I, I think hopefully this kind of thing helps because I'm sure a lot of people out there are feeling the same way. So I, I just hope that, you know, discussing it openly and making people realize like you're not alone, even if you weren't a Kobe fan or didn't know him like this, it's not weird that it's affecting you more than you think. Cause I think a lot of us are out there feeling the same way. 
Right. So what were your thoughts on the NBA continuing with the initial games and then uh, canceling this Lakers Clippers game? I mean, I think logistically it would have been tough um, Sunday because right. you know the news broke at you know I think like two thirty Eastern time, and then the the Nuggets Rockets game, people were already in the stadium. You got all the like concession workers and everything there, security staff, whatever. Uh, I, I think with with such short notice other than like a natural disaster, like if there's three feet of snow on the ground that no one should be driving, that kind of thing. I think it's just hard logistically to cancel the games. Um, but I understand why people would have wanted to, because like, you know, seeing Tyson Chandler like tearing up on the bench in that Rockets Nuggets game was, was heartbreaking. So, you know, I, I think ultimately I'm glad to see that teams have been respectful of players. Like Kyrie didn't play Sunday. Chris Paul didn't play on Monday night. And I haven't seen anyone say anything negative about either guy's decision to do that or like the team letting them sit out because right. those guys were really close to Kobe. Um, I totally understand canceling tonight's game. I think, of course, the Lakers organization is going to be hit harder by this than anyone else. Um, and, you know, just the... Like, it's just such a cruel juxtaposition of, like, Saturday night, LeBron passes Kobe on the all-time scoring list. Like, I thought that was the only Kobe conversation I'd be having this week. I'd be, I'd vastly prefer having that conversation uh, than what actually happened. So I, I totally respect the NBA's decision to, to give the Lakers uh, a few more days to process this however they can. Right. That was even a little eerie because, you know, uh, Kobe was on LeBron sneakers and that's often something what somebody does when somebody passes and people were playing that LeBron clip. And that was before he passed. Kobe's last tweet was to LeBron. Yeah. And then like Sham Sharani of The Athletic reported that, you know, Kobe and LeBron spoke over the phone Saturday night after the game and and LeBron put it on speakerphone, let some of his teammates listen in. Like, Whoa. you know, none of those none of those guys think like this is the last time I'm ever going to hear Kobe's voice. Like, you know, they're just thinking like, this is great. He's checking in with LeBron, congratulating him on a, a historic accomplishment. All right, we'll go about our day. Well, you know, like Dwight was trying to get Kobe to help him with the All Star Dunk contest in two weeks. Like, oh wow, yeah, it's just it's 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 still very surreal to think that. It's just like we're not gonna see Kobe Bryant there at NBA events anymore. Like we, you know, Bill Russell and Kareem are still showing up to things. Like I, I thought Kobe was gonna be that type of ambassador to the game, uh, right. and and I think he would have been if he could have. It just it totally sucks that he can't. Yeah, and there's a good chance his daughter would have been an ambassador for the women's game. So yeah, it, yeah. Um, I, I didn't I didn't know much about her before Sunday, honestly, and. You know, now I regret that because it sounds like <laughs> it sounds like she was going to be right. Oh, you know, she had dreams for carrying on the Bryant legacy, and I wish she she could have had the chance to do so. Right. So I recorded a podcast, which I actually co-released with uh, Zach from the Off the Glass podcast, and he asked me on that podcast, "How would I remember Kobe as a basketball player?" So I'd like to hear your mm-hmm. thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is just his competitiveness and his drive. I mean, right. it sounds, you know, all the stories that are coming out about him now are just like, this dude would outwork everyone. And that's how you gain his respect. Like, he didn't care if you were the most talented player in the room. He just cared if you're trying to get better and you're putting everything in there to get better. Uh, I think that's, 
probably why he resonated with a lot of the guys in the current generation. Um, you know, you heard a lot of them talk about how he was their hero and they looked up to him. And I think that more than, you know, of course, he's one of the best all-time players to ever play this game. Five rings, you know, countless accolades. That's all great. But I think the fact he made such an impact on this current generation of players and that he was like happy to do so, that he was willing to kind of pass that torch and, you know, share his wisdom with guys in the summer like Giannis. I think that's what I'm going to remember most about him. That's what I hope to remember most about him. Right. I think everybody has some Kobe DNA in their game in the current NBA for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, we talked mostly Kobe. I recorded two podcasts about Kobe yesterday. Let's let's shift to a little bit of current NBA. Um, okay. I don't know. I don't know if it's too early. But no, we'll, we'll, we'll we, we just did all star. We did 30 minutes on all star reserves on our pod. So, oh man, okay, okay. Uh, <laughs> I promise right. you, it won't be that. Well, what's, what's been striking me currently, it seems that, like, you know, the narratives, what the current media and fans think is that nobody's ready for a championship. Everybody needs somebody, you know? It's like, yeah, somebody has to win, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, in theory. Yeah. yeah. So, in terms of the Lakers, do you feel they, I mean, to me, when I look at them, they look like a championship team. And I'll be the first to break down a team and tell you what they need. But they're the one team when I watch them play, they're a championship team to me when I watch them. That's what they strike me as. Do you feel like there's a missing piece? Yeah, I mean, I think like every team has a piece that you could add to them and make them better. So like the Lakers, I think if you add a backup point guard who's better than Rajon Rondo, of course that would help them and like probably make them the favorites out West. But that isn't to say they can't win with this roster as currently constructed either. That's how I feel about the Clippers as well. The the Bucks, I mean, at 40 and six with a historic point differential, I think, you know, do they need to make a move at the trade deadline? No, they could very well have confidence that they just have the right ingredients to win a title right now. So the, those three, Bucks, Lakers, Clippers, I think, if I had to pick a team today that's going to win, those would be among the three that I'd be picking from. I think other teams could enter that conversation if they make a, a notable move. I think the Sixers are among them. Uh, I think yeah. they're the ones that come up probably, well, because <laughs> I cover them, they come up most frequently on my timeline in particular, but just in like at general NBA discourse, I think their flaws are so magnified and are so obvious that if they address those, I think they could be on that, you know, cement themselves as the top of that second tier in the East that, you know, that we could see how they would match up against the Bucks or Lakers or Clippers in the seven-game series. But they are most inconsistent team in the NBA by far this year. But, you know, they pounded the Bucks on Christmas Day. They just pounded the Lakers on Saturday. They annihilated the Heat by, like, four, they were up 40 at one point in November. They have shown the type of ceiling that could win a title. Can you guarantee that they're going to play that way for over a seven-game series or – over a two-month postseason, no, definitely not. I don't know what which version of the Sixers are going to show up on any given night. Right. So I'm the guy, Brian, who's a lot higher on Ben Simmons than many others. Oh, uh, I, okay. I, you know, I think a lot of times, a lot of the criticism of Ben, go to actually not watching Ben play in full basketball games and just looking at the narrative that he doesn't shoot. And yep. they might you might check out his stats, and they're not eye-popping. 
But a lot of times when you watch Ben play, he's by far the best player on the court. Um, I was in the garden for him versus yeah. the Knicks. I watch it. I mean, I obviously watch a lot on TV as well. And that's what strikes me when I'm watching the Sixers. I would not trade Ben, but I want to ask you, and I've talked about this before on the pod, and I've asked others about this on the podcast. I think there's something creative they could do with keeping both of them. I don't think Brett Brown is a bad coach. I just don't think he might be the right fit. There has to be a coach out there that could figure something out from a tactical point of view to get Ben and Joel playing together and at a championship level. Yeah. I mean, frankly, they weren't like it. Joel has brought this up in interviews this year. Like they weren't far from that last year. You know, if Kawhi's four bounce shot doesn't go down, they win in overtime. Like I'm going to go to my grave saying that the Raptors were worse matchup for the Sixers last year than the Bucks. I think they could have beaten the Bucks last year. And then if the Warriors get hit with the same injuries that they did in the finals, no, there's there's a very real chance the Sixers are NBA, reigning NBA champions right now. So I don't think that tandem is necessarily what's holding them back. Like I think if Al Horford hadn't forgotten how to shoot for most of the year, we're having a very different conversation about the Sixers. Like it's getting better now, right? Starting to knock him down slightly. Yeah, I mean he's uh, the last couple games in particular, he's hit a couple. You know, the Lakers game, he had a couple big shots late. Against the Raptors early, he hit a couple of big ones. Uh, that mid-range game is starting to come back a little bit, which is nice to see. I mean, he's just bricking open three after open three after open three. You know, Mike Scott has been much worse this year than he was last year. James Ennis has fallen into the doghouse at times. So, you know, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that, like, maybe Brett Brown isn't the answer. It, I don't know. I mean, I, I would like I wouldn't just fire him to scapegoat him and say, like, okay, we just need – a new face in the room. Let's hire like Mark Jackson or whatever. Like if there was a better option out there and I saw who that person is, sure. Go, go right ahead. I think, you know, there are very few people, players, coaches, executives who you can't upgrade from at some point, but it's the same thing with the, like, should they trade Ben or Joel? All right. Who are they trading him for? Like, you know, I mean, sure. If, if the, the, the Bucks say, yeah, we'll trade Ben for Giannis straight up. Okay, cool. But if you're telling me like Ben for Jamal Murray straight up, no. Like Ben, I agree with you that the focus on his shooting just becomes reductive at times. And not to say that he doesn't eventually need to be able to hit jump shots. That's That will make him a better NBA player, of course. Of course, of course. But what he brings in transition as a passer, and especially this year on defense, I mean, the dude is playing at a first-team all-defensive level this year I would say I would say defensive player of the year him or Ant Davis yeah I mean he's been he's been just the versatility and like he's just been so locked in on that end him and Thibel combined it's just a nightmare for opponents like it's it's honestly unfair sometimes as a finisher too I mean I haven't found maybe there's some stat out there that I haven't found yet that's like He's definitely better as a finisher this year than in years past. But, I mean, I was re-watching the Lakers game the other day, and, like, he hit a couple of things just, like, high off the glass that he could not do even last year. He might not be finishing at the rim in terms of, like, layups and dunks as much as you would like, and maybe that's because he's not as great of a free-throw shooter as one would hope. But some of his creative finishes, especially off the glass, have gotten significantly better, I've noticed. So, you know, I, early in the season, I had people in my mentions like, 
Ben hasn't improved at all since he came into the league. I'm like, what are you watching? Of course he has. Yeah, no, and and when I was in the garden watching him and even on, when he was mic'd up, I think he was mic'd up once. He seems to be a better leader now. He's improving yeah. upon that. Speaking of Thibault, man, his defensive ceiling is is ridiculous. What is What kind of defender will he be like four years from now, you know? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and on top of that, Al Horford, with all these guys from the defensive point of view, they're even – more capable of matching up with the Bucks this year. As you said, they, it, that would have been a better matchup for them last year. This year mm-hmm. might be even better defensively. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see. They've only played them once, of course, on Christmas so far. Uh, that might have just been an outlier game because the Sixers hit a ton of threes. But to some extent, that's by design. I mean, the Bucks had protect the rim at all costs, give up those types of, you know, what, let's see what happens if they hit 30% instead of 50 but yeah, I mean, the, the defense, the one-on-one defense that Embiid played on Giannis, especially early in the third quarter of that Christmas Day game, was some of the best I've ever seen one player on Giannis. Like, Giannis was getting visibly frustrated because it was like, he's not fouling me. Like, he's good, I'm, you know, I'm going to complain and try to get a foul, but, like, he's not fouling me. He's just defending me straight up in transition when I'm going to the rim, and no one can do that. So, yeah, between Simmons... Embiid, Horford, you know, I think if there's any team that's going to stop the Bucks from making the finals in the East, I think it's the Sixers. I don't think Miami, Boston, Toronto, maybe, but I don't think they have the type of top end star power that they need. Indiana has surprised me this year, but, you know, I want to see Oladipo in action, what he looks like, how that reintegration process works before I anoint them a legit threat to the Bucks. But I think, I mean, all six of those teams, if I'm a fan of any of those six teams, I want my team to get the one or two seed because I do not want to face any of them in the first round. Like the, the Eastern Conference three, six and four five playoff matchups are going to be phenomenal this year. Have you put any thought into um, most improved player? Yeah. So we, we had our midseason awards uh, debate recently. And for me, it comes down to two guys and it's, it's kind of, they're polar opposites in some way. So okay. one would be Luka Doncic. Right. Uh, just because, you know, like, of course he hit the ground running last year, but going from fringe all-star last year to legit MVP candidate this year at the age of 20, I, right. I think the leap from good to great, we say this with teams a lot, but players too, the leap from like good to great or from great to elite, it just, the degree of difficulty ramps up every time. Uh, right, right, for sure. So I think I think he, as crazy as it might sound, he's in that mix. And then on the other side is Devontae Graham, a guy who a second round pick from 2018, who no one, you know, Charlotte was expected to be one of the worst teams in the NBA this year after losing Kemba, giving all that money to Terry Roger. Here comes Devontae Graham just lifting the floor of that Hornets team. They're still, of course, not great. And, you know, he's only, he's only shooting 38% from the field. But what he brings to that team, you know, Roger is shooting 42%, which is the first time he's ever been above 40. That was a bet my co-host that I had before the season started. So I think it, just because expectations were so non-existent for, for Graham, I don't think anyone saw him even emerging as like a surefire starter. And now he's... I don't want to say he's a fringe all-star, but he's right, you know, in that like top 25-ish player in these conversations in 
one season out of completely nowhere. So, you know, MIP often goes to a guy like that, where it's like, he's averaging four points a game and now he's averaging 18. Okay, cool. You know, some of it's, of course, just because of more opportunity. Whereas I think Luca's, the type of leap that Luca is making is probably more difficult to some extent. Yeah. And I think often, just for it would be unprecedented for an MVP candidate to win most improved player. And, and also, I think a lot of people don't want to give the award to a second-year player. What year is Devontae Graham in now? I believe he's second as well. Oh, okay. Um, so they both, yeah. they, they both might have that bias against them because a lot of right. people don't like giving that award early. Yeah. I, I, the only thing I would counter with, with Graham, like I, I understand especially not wanting to do it for like a lottery pick. And, I, and, I'm, just play, and I'm just playing devil's advocate now. Oh, I yeah. Think, yeah, I, yeah. I think, no, I I think, yeah. I think Luca should probably – is probably the – like – he is the most improved player. Will he win it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, my, my co-host has the same, uh, same disqualifiers. It's if you're a lottery pick or first to second year, you can't it just automatically, like you're expected to improve significantly. So that should be held against you. I just think in Graham's case in particular, since he was a second round pick and since he just, you know, he did very little last year and then just emerging into a guy, you know, he's averaging almost 19 points, eight assists a game, starting pretty much every game. That's, that's what at least puts him in the conversation for me. But look, I mean, Bam Adebayo should be in that conversation as well. Jonathan yes. Isaac before he went down, like there, there are a lot of good candidates this year. Yeah. I like Jonathan Isaac. Uh, when I saw him in summer league a few years back, man, he really yeah. struck me as a, as a player that could, like really do damage even all-star potential i thought at that point oh yeah yeah if orlando ever <laughs> stops rostering seven big men maybe he'll have the chance to actually put up the numbers right right to. brian uh tell us a little bit more about your podcast before you get out of here and where we could find you yeah sure so it's <laughs> aptly called the nba podcast clearly the only one out there i like uh, it i like it yeah thank you thank yeah. you very creative uh yeah we just cover we hit we try to hit Every big storyline in the league, we try to cover as many teams as we can. So it's not only just Lakers, Lakers, Lakers the whole time. Um, you can find us on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find uh, my Twitter handle is in that bio as well. But I am B Toporek, T-O-P-O-R-E-K on Twitter. Uh, and then, yeah, as you mentioned, you can find my work at Forbes. I cover the Sixers and some salary cap stuff there. And then occasionally at Fansite as well. Very dope. Um, I'll be checking it all out. I'm sorry we had to uh, get this podcast done under such somber situations. Hopefully we can do it again soon. For sure. Yeah. Happy to come back, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate right. you. Thank you for listening to Combo's Court and big shouts to Brian for joining in. We appreciate you. Go subscribe to the NBA pod. Let me know how you feel about this episode right in the comments section of your Apple podcast app. Rate and review wherever you listen to Combos Court and share this episode with a friend, man, via social media or word of mouth. Be on the lookout for episode 133, Combo Out.